2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Donald Trump tells his team... This is fascinating. This is in the Rolling Stone magazine. In fact, the headline, Trump tells team he needs to be president again to save himself from criminal probes. I'm really torn. I mean, I remember back in 2016 thinking... You know, Hillary Clinton's a fairly weak Democratic candidate. She's had years and years and years of the Republicans just tearing her down. And a lot of her husband's policies that, you know, were popular back in the 90s when we really believed that, you know, shipping our factories to Asia and Mexico might be a good thing because all these cool white collar jobs were coming with the internet and the whole information age. And, and, um, you know, maybe it was okay to give tax cuts to billionaires. Maybe they really would, you know, revive America. You know, we, a a lot of us, uh, actually, I shouldn't Say us because I was not in that crowd. I was always opposed to those policies, always. But nonetheless, you know, a lot of people, a lot of good Democrats thought, yeah, let's give it a try. But by, you know, 2020 or 2016, rather, you know, we had figured out that Clinton's policies, his or his embrace of neoliberalism, he did a lot of good things. Uh, You know, Bill Clinton Clinton deserves some considerable credit for being a a reasonable president. But his his specifically neoliberal policies really hurt America and specifically hurt the middle class. And his uh, mass incarceration policies hurt people of color quite badly. And so, you know, fast forward 20 years later and his wife is running for president and it's going to be a big lift But I was thinking in 2016, you know, she couldn't have a better opponent. Donald Trump is the wackadoodle of wackadoodles. There's, you know, he's got to be easy to beat. Well, I don't think anybody expected that Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and the Russian and, and Vladimir Putin would organize themselves together, essentially, to put Donald Trump in the White House. Uh, you know, with the with the enthusiastic complicity of the American media, you had Les Moonves from CBS News, uh, you know, telling his investors, uh, you know, Donald Trump may be terrible for America, but he sure is making money for CBS. Go for it, Donald, or words to that effect. You know, we didn't think it was going He was actually gonna pull it off, but he did. He ended up in the White House. So I'm kind of torn between saying, yeah, Donald Trump, Republican nominee. Yes, bring it on. Let's do it again. And thinking, oh, my God, this could be the end of the republic. Because there is no doubt in my mind, and I'm, I'm guessing there's probably no doubt in your mind, that if Donald Trump became president again, it would be the end of the republic. He would, he would do a Mussolini. He would do a Hitler. He would do a Pinochet. He would, he would do a, a Marcos. I mean, this, that, that would be it. He would do an Erdogan. He would do an Orban or a Duda, you know, the president of Poland. He would end the republic. He would turn us into a full-blown authoritarian right-wing oligarchy. Not that we're not three-quarters of the way there already, but he'd finish the job. But that said, his support is slipping. I mean, only about half of Republicans now think that Trump should run. Now, that doesn't tell you how many of them would run, you know, vote for him if he was running, particularly if he was running against a black woman, a.k.a. Kamala Harris. But, you know, I think he may be a lot weaker candidate than, for example, Ron DeSantis. But, who, you know, these things are impossible to know in advance, as we learned in 2016. But nonetheless, Trump is now actively, aggressively, and seriously talking about running for president. Apparently not because he wants to save the world or not because he wants to lead the country and make, the, make America you know, great again or better. And really we need, by the way, that slogan, make America great again, that was Reagan's 1984 campaign slogan, make America great again. Trump just stole that from Reagan. So we really need to call it make America great again Trump, right? Because this is the Trump version of make America great again. So instead of MAGA, M-A-G-A, It should be M-A-G-A-T, Make America Great Again Trump, maggot. So anyhow, Donald Trump is now saying that his political advisors, this is one one of his quotes, quote, he has said, when you're president of the United States, it's tough for politically motivated prosecutors to get to you. And another advisor said, quote, he says, WHEN, NOT IF, HE IS PRESIDENT AGAIN, A NEW REPUBLICAN ADMINISTRATION WILL PUT A STOP TO THE JUSTICE DEPARTMENT INVESTIGATION THAT HE VIEWS AS THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION WORKING TO HIT HIM WITH CRIMINAL CHARGES OR EVEN PUT HIM AND HIS PEOPLE IN PRISON. WELL, STEVE BANNON'S TRIAL STARTED THIS MORNING. THEY DID JURY SELECTION, AND THIS IS A FEDERAL CASE. BANNON IS LOOKING AT TWO YEARS IN PRISON FOR TWO COUNTS OF DEFYING CONGRESS. they ARE MISDEMEANORS, BUT YOU STILL GO TO JAIL FOR A YEAR. And Bannon's, his filling hosts this morning on his show were like, well, he doesn't have much of a defense, so it looks like he's (laughs) gonna, it's like, really? So I, I put this question out. Do you want Donald Trump to run for president again? Do you think that that would be a good thing for the Democratic Party? Or better stated, a bad thing for the GOP? I'm increasingly inclined to think that it would be a bad thing for the GOP. Because Donald Trump really shows the face of how corrupt, how soulless, how misogynistic and racist, how openly, what's the word for being a grifter, you know, uh, the adjective, how openly corrupt the Republican Party is, how in the bag for the billionaires they are i don't know i'm torn on this thing but you know i mean i don't have any control over it anyway i don't you know there's only a small number of republicans who listen to this program and i keep encouraging them to call in you know if, if when republicans call in you literally go to the front of the line i don't think there's any other program in america that does that but you know by and large they just don't want to stick their heads up they're afraid i get it but you know if there's any republicans out there listening yeah, you know, you'll probably have to keep trying to get in because the lines are all occupied right now. But um, keep trying. Persist. Do you want Donald Trump running? I think, it. again, like I said, I thought it was a gift to Democrats in 2016. I was it turned out I was wrong. And like I said, you know, none of us realized that Facebook and, you know, uh, Zuckerberg and his private dinners with Trump and and the Russians and Cambridge Analytica were going to fix the election for him. But. Will they be able to do it again? I'm skeptical. Okay, that's that's point one. And point two are the billionaires buying the midterm elections, the 2022 elections. This is a breathtaking story. I will dig into it in a little more detail. It's the Tom Hartman program, the true people's media. Yes, the billionaires are buying elections like literally, like never before. I'll tell you about that. So Judd Legum this morning published uh, just an absolutely fascinating piece over at popular.info, his Substack newsletter. It's titled The Billionaires Buying the Midterm Elections. And he's talking about two primary super PACs. And keep in mind, all this was made possible by the 2010 Citizens United decision by five Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, the, The two funds are the Senate Leadership Fund, the SLF, and the Congressional Leadership Fund, the CLF, These are Republican groups that can accept unlimited donations, and they have collectively raised $188.3 million through March, through three months ago, last time we've got, you know, we've just got the first quarter numbers now. And uh, nearly half of that money came from just 27 billionaires. Let that sink in. 27 men provided about half of the money that Republicans are going to use to re-cement or try to take back control of the House and Senate. An additional 40 million of of the money to the SLF and CLF came directly from corporations. Koch Industries, for example, donated 1.75 million. That's controlled by billionaire Charles Koch, writes Judd Legum. Another $35 million in donations to these two super PACs comes from entities organized as nonprofits that don't have to disclose their donors. 18 million, 18.7 million comes from the American Action Network, a nonprofit run by essentially those same people. Now there is a Democratic set of counterparts, the S.L.F. and C.L.F. Uh, the House majority uh, to the S.L.F. and C.L.F. It's the House majority pack and the Senate majority pack, uh, but they've only raised so far about 150 million dollars, and only 17 percent of that has come from billionaires, rather than about half. By the way, those, those 44 billionaires who donated in this campaign cycle, they made an additional $168 billion just during the first year of the pandemic because of the Trump tax cuts and the Bush tax cuts and the Reagan tax cuts. But one of the biggest is Ken Griffin. He's the owner of Citadel, his hedge fund. He donated 28 million bucks to these two Republican hedge funds through the end of March. Back in 2012, he was asked, Do the ultra-wealthy have an inordinate or inappropriate amount of influence in the political process? Ken uh, Griffin said, I think they actually have an insufficient influence. He added, the government being involved in picking winners and losers invariably leads to a loss of economic freedom and encourages corruption. Which is kind of rich given that Ken Griffin owns and runs a hedge fund, it's called Citadel, that back in 2008 was the counterparty to AIG. Remember when AIG was, went under? It could have taken Citadel with it if the Bush administration had not bailed them out. They gave AIG $182 billion in taxpayer payout, payout, bailout and part of that was $200 million in cash that went right to Ken Griffith's uh, hedge fund. So his hedge fund, which would have been bankrupt, got bailed out by the government and now he's saying we've got to elect republicans because when government bails out organizations that that's corruption right he also he used to live in in uh chicago in illinois and he spent in 2020 there was a ballot initiative that would have cut taxes on people making less than a hundred thousand dollars and raised taxes on people making more than a half a million dollars. It would have raised the, uh, the top income tax rate on people making over a million dollars from 4.95 to 7.99%. Ken Griffin spent $54 million on advertising in the, in the Chicago market and across the state of Illinois to defeat that legislation. It went down in flames, even though it would have given a tax cut to everybody making under $100,000 a year. He spent $18 a vote. And guess what? He saved $51 million. Keep in mind, he spent $54 million to defeat this thing. He saved $51 million a year in taxes that he would have had to pay had that ballot initiative passed. The only other billionaire who's eclipsing him, according to this report from Judd Legum at Popular.info, is Peter Thiel, who spent $30 million on the campaigns of two of his former employees, J.D. Vance in Ohio and Blake Masters in Arizona. So what we're seeing now, I mean, the, you know, it, it was fairly fairly low. These uh, co- campaign contributions were fairly low prior to, or even in the first couple of years after Citizens United in 2010. But in particular, since about 2018, they have just gone through the roof. Now, this, in my opinion, is not democracy. When billionaires can buy elections, that's called oligarchy, meaning rule by the rich. As Jimmy Carter said on this program many years ago, America is no longer a democracy. It's now an oligarchy with unlimited political bribery. I mean, Jimmy Carter just laid it out, told the truth. Frankly, it shocked me that he said it on this program as bluntly as he did. But he did. And it turns out this was not the only place he said it, although very few people were asking him that question. So the question becomes, what do we do about this? Do you have thoughts on this? I mean, obviously we need to raise taxes on these guys, but how can you do that when the Supreme Court says they can spend unlimited money to either destroy the politicians who are trying to raise their taxes or stop ballot initiatives when politicians fail to do it? How do we get around this? I mean obviously we need to we need to roll back citizens united but you know the billionaires are going to stop that too. How do you unseat an oligarchy? If you have suggestions I'd love to hear them. Give me a shout. Talk media for the sane among us. Yes, we're still here. Brian in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Brian! Thanks for listening to KTRC. What's up?
1: Hey, happy Monday! Right before the break, you were talking about how the American voter can get control of their politics right. and overwhelm the billionaires. Basically, another way to phrase it. Uh, if I was lucky enough to have a talk show if someone called my show, my first question would be, "What's your congressional district and who's your representative in Congress?" We need to motivate. It would embarrass people to most people. <laughs> Right. Well, I live in the uh, New Mexico 1st District, and my congressman is Melanie Stansbury. Right. And my state rep is Pamela Herndon. you got to know your state reps, too. Because, yep. see, that's the only way you can overcome the money advantage, is by having the average voters engaged and following along with what their congressmen are doing. Everybody always talks about the president. He's not the king. Congress makes the laws. Yep. So if the average voter gets control of their congressman by putting a group of 20 people together and say, hey, we need to have a town hall. We need to have a meeting. Um, that would greatly help things, in my opinion. But my original meaning, uh, reason I called this morning, uh, I'm a centrist, and I wish you would put centrist on first. want only to put Republicans to the front of the line. Let's start putting centrist to the front of the line, because both parties are the problem. What does
2: centrist mean? Well,
1: well okay, I grew up in a union household. I worked union my whole life. But that doesn't mean that I agree with every policy put forward by the far left of the Democratic so Party. So what do
2: you disagree with?
1: Uh, What I disagree with is giving everybody everything with no limits and no responsibility. No, specifically, responsibility.
2: what do you? That, that, that's rhetoric. That's that's BS. What specifically okay, do you okay, disagree okay, with? Okay,
1: health, healthcare. Let's
2: go healthcare. Healthcare. Okay, so you, you, you oppose... give everybody free healthcare. You oppose Medicare okay, for I, all. I do too.
1: With limits and responsibilities, which you never talk about. Okay, for example, 40% Wait, wait a minute, you, did you just say beings. you
2: support Medicare for All?
1: I would be supporting, yes, for government health care, with limits and responsibility. So you never talk about that. It's always, we're going to give you everything you want. Well, no, okay. nobody nobody.
2: literally... Please, Brian, I, I will mail you $100 right now if you can name one Democratic politician who ever said, I'm going to give everybody everything they want. You that, is, that, that is such, that is such that is such a that is such a Fox News line, Brian. It's such BS. So no, so, well, so, so okay. Point. We've let established that point. you're in, you're enough. in favor you're in favor of Medicare for all with with reasonable limits. I am too. You know, in in Canada, you have to pay about $150 a month premium, and it covers pretty much everything. I'm not sure in some provinces it doesn't cover dental or vision. In some provinces, it does. But, you know, it, it sounds like you're with me on that. So, again, I ask the question, what, quote, far-left policy is it that you oppose that causes you to call yourself a centrist?
1: Uh, you said that, I remember, I've listened to you a lot because I'm retired now. I remember about six months ago you said that studies have shown if we give everybody everything, 3% of the population would do nothing, and you're just fine with that. You'd be okay with that. You said 2 3 or 4%.
2: So you know what? I have I never said give everybody 3%. everything, Brian. What I said, no, say, and I and I, basic, and I will continue basic to say, is that is that give with any with any kind of welfare program, there's going to be two, three, some in some cases as much as four percent fraud. But the price, if that's the price of being able to make sure that everybody has health care, if that's the price of making sure that everybody can go to college at a reasonable cost, if that's the price of having a society where billionaires aren't calling the tune, but instead we are, that's an acceptable price to me. I don't know how to get around that. I mean, you know, I bank with a, with a, well, with a, with a bank and I know that that bank is subject to fraud. I have a Visa card. I know Visa card is subject to fraud. You're never gonna get rid of fraud. So please, name one policy of the so-called far left that you oppose that causes you to call yourself a centrist, because it sounds to me like you're a Democrat, a progressive Democrat,
1: Okay, free college. You want to change the subject? Let's go free college. I'm not changing the subject. I don't think
2: everybody should and I don't think everybody should pay for it. So why not? Why shouldn't people be able to go to college for free in the United States like they can in every country in Europe?
1: I think a lot of it would just be wasted. That's the problem now. A lot of kids get degrees that aren't worth anything. That's the problem. That's the big I, problem. I completely get a radio disagree, and TV Brian. There's degree. I don't think they there's any such thing as a degree. They, they get some degree that they don't make any money yet. And and I they. How many guys I worked with that got a college degree and then five years later they realized they weren't making squat and then they went back and they tried to get an electrician's union because their uncle was in the union. Then they got a union job and they made more money.
2: Okay, so how many things that degree. you how many things that you learned in high school? do you no longer use? Shall we just do, do away with high school? I mean, you know, a lot of stuff that I learned in high school, I have never, ever used. I don't think I've ever used Trig, ever in my life. So let's well, just let's just shut down the high exercise, schools too. If that's right? If that's your criteria, that makes no sense
1: well the big scandal in education is k through 12 that's where the real damage is done it's not college kids oh. go to college and are not ready for it
2: that's a okay. big problem all right brian yeah let's shut down our schools i think we're done thank you you're not a centrist you are a republican <laughs> craig uh, in golden uh, new mexico hey craig thanks for listening to us on the tom hartman app what's up hey so basically i'm
1: billionaires in politics what the numbers you were quoting earlier in the millions, maybe even hundreds of millions, compared to what these people make in a single year, this is just Trump change. penny stock. Yeah. It's something. These guys are buying us for nothing. Yep. And that's what we need to be telling everybody. They're, they're just exploiting us and just make it plain and clear people are smart. They understand. Yeah. The halfway smart person in the world understands that they're being ripped off.
2: Yeah, the, oh, be, the best uh, investment uh, you can make in, in America right now, if you're really, really rich, is to buy a politician. And I think the really, really rich people, the morbidly rich people, have figured that out. And they are hoarders, too. So yeah. i say stick with that in your yeah. messaging. I'm with you. I love you, Tom. Get okay. Up. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Craig, for the call. Good to hear from you. Bill in Seattle. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today?
3: Uh, yes. Yeah. Why are Iran and Venezuela our enemies and Saudi Arabia is our friend? Because, Why aren't we getting oil from Venezuela and Iran? <laughs> Neither one of them have cut up a living guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a reasonable question, and I you know I think the answer is uh, with regard to Venezuela, the answer is that I believe it was during the Reagan administration we decided we needed a you know a major enemy down there, and uh, and Venezuela was moving to the left. And, and then you ended up with no, a the shot. V- as-
3: Venezuela didn't lo- 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 move to the left until
2: Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton? Okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> he
3: took over. Hugo Chavez won in 99.
2: Thank you. Okay, thank you. I stand corrected. But, you know, I, I would say that it was... it was. Uh, I mean, there's no
3: reason at all, there's no reason at all, except these people, Iran and Venezuela, have fought back of having their money sucked up sucked back into New York City. Yeah, I,
2: I, I agree. Number okay, one, Saudi I would say... Saudi Arabia owns New York let me, City. Let me finish a whole thought here, Bill. Um, with Venezuela, A, it was left-wing politics, and B, it was that their oil can only be refined in one or two refineries in the entire United States. Their oil is super true high now, in, in not sulfur true anymore.
3: Yeah. And <laughs> True other places in the world, they can do it, and we are bargaining their oil and won't allow them. We're going to kill You're, them. you're right. I'm but not I trying said. to
2: justify this, Bill. I agree with you. We should be, we, you know, the, 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 the oil market worldwide should be the oil market worldwide. With regard to Iran, it's a completely different dynamic, and that has to do with Iran funding Hezbollah, which is opposed by Israel, or opposes Israel, would be the correct Well, why is way to Israel
4: our friend? Why is Israel a friend and Iran not?
2: Well, Israel's a democracy, and, and Iran is trying well, to try to how them. Come,
3: well, come then how come the Israelis are killing their scientists? I
2: You know, I don't know that they are, Bill. I, you know, in fact, I, I can't imagine that they're killing their scientists. I, I'm not a fan of Israel's policies in the West Bank and in, and in Gaza. In fact, I'm opposed to them. But, you know, let's, let's not go over the edge here. Tom in Seal Beach, California. Hey, Tom, thanks for listening to Tom Harbin App. What's up?
5: Well, hi, Tom. Uh, fifty years ago, I was lucky enough to get a nearly free world-class college education here in California.
2: Oh, before Reagan and, killed it off.
5: That's right. I was there when he did it. And In the last fifty years, the single course that's been the most used to me was a, a survey of nineteenth-century philosophers. and. Today, I couldn't tell you which philosophers it was that I was reading, and I couldn't tell you what they were saying. But what I remember was the first reading assignment I had as I'm reading the guy's thoughts, I was convinced, well, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And then the next day I read the criticism. I thought, how could I fall for that? Exactly. And the second philosopher, the same thing happened to me. By the third philosopher... I could recognize, well, you know, there's some weaknesses in his argument. And by the fourth and fifth, I got pretty good at spotting fallacies in the argument.
2: You discovered your critical thinking skills.
5: I did. I may not know the answers, but I can, I can recognize things that are fallacies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think they should teach philosophy in high school, frankly.
5: Uh, I think it would be uh, worthwhile. I, we need more critical thinkers.
2: Yeah, I'm
5: with you. And uh, after I got my degree, I uh, did like uh, your earlier caller. I ended up becoming a, a union firefighter. Took a pay cut to do it, but
2: oh, good on you, Tom. That's that's <laughs> genuine public service.
5: Oh, it it was a great. Uh, experience.
2: Great career. Okay. Tom, thank you. Thank you for sharing that experience with us I and, and validating my my argument for college. Thank you so much. Tony in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind today?
6: Oh, my gosh, Tom. Uh, the One of the previous callers, the one you actually referenced that says, Democrats, we want everything given to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have two college degrees. I got them in California. Now, when I got them in California, that's where the money was. I got a job offer in Georgia, so obviously the cost of living was different. I didn't make the same money, so it's not that I, we, we purposely go to get degrees that don't pay money. They pay money at the where, in the city that we're in.
2: Well, and there's, and there's, a, there's a whole argument for college that has nothing to do with being able to use your degree for your job. It, going to, going yes. to college gets you out of a house. It gets you out of your community. Yes. It exposes you to a whole world you didn't know. It exposes you to a diverse range of people. It exposes you to ideas that challenge you. A good college education, a good liberal arts education should include things like philosophy and political science. And, and I agree. I mean, you, you learn about the world. You learn more about yourself. You're confronted with challenges you learn how to study. Yes. I mean there's all kinds of stuff that that yeah, you you know, you, you may end up with a, an electrical engineering degree and you, and you end up working as a political scientist. So what? You you see, the college exactly. is still a valuable thing. And we need to st- we need to
6: rebrand this. We need to get we need to get the phrasing different. We need, it needs to stop being called free education because everything that these re- republicans say is free it's not, it's taxpayer funded, it's state paid. That's what we need to do because, and I personally, I would have no problem with it because even as a man of my age, I'm 52. If there was state paid college, I would have no problem going back and getting another degree and opening an, opening another business in my community to make more jobs.
2: Right, right. Yeah, no, college, I mean, there, there is no shortage of really good studies showing that free college benefits society. Probably the best study that's ever been done, and I've written about this several times at Hartman Report, is, is the study that was done here in the United States after World War II, where yeah. in, in, this, in the 70s, or maybe it was the early 80s, they did a retrospective analysis of all those young men who got a free college education, 700,000 of them got a free college yeah. education with the GI Bill after World War II. My dad was one of them. Louise's dad was one. He became the attorney general for the state of Michigan, or the, the, excuse me, the assistant attorney general. And, and my grandfather was one. Yeah, so there you go. And what they found was that among those among those men who got that education and there were a couple of women too, but mostly it was men and, and mostly it was white men. And you know, we need to acknowledge the mm-hmm. racism back in the day. But that but but speaking of the value of education, what they found was that on average for every one dollar that the federal government invested in putting those people through college and it wasn't just free by the way, my dad got a hundred dollar a month stipend was a, to go to a benefit. college. He was paid to go to college yes. by the GI Bill, right? That, that for every one dollar that we spent to put those guys through college, we got an additional seven dollars in tax revenue that mm-hmm. we wouldn't have seen because college-educated people make more money, and because they make more money, they pay more in income taxes.
6: And also, Tom, there's one, there's one program that, that was in under uh, Reagan. Well, I don't know if he started it, but it was called the JTPA, that sort of did the same thing. It let you go to a community college or a trade school and the state paid for it. You had the option to either if you if you were downsized from your job, you could either get the choice to draw unemployment while you went to trade school or the state would pay you to go to trade school. That's gone as well. That was that was a that was a great deal because what when, when I went in 94, you were offered truck driving school uh, carpentry, heating and air conditioning, plumbing, and nursing. Yeah. You don't even have that anymore.
2: You know, the other big benefit that came out of the GI bill was the transistor, Velcro. I mean, you know, we had this yes. explosion of technology that wasn't, you know, everybody says, "Oh, that all came out of the space program, you know, NASA. That was cuz John Kennedy said we're going to send a man to a moon." Well, you couldn't have done that if well. you didn't have an entire generation <laughs> that went yes. and We went from like 6 or 7% college educated Americans before the, before World War II to I think we're at around 16 or 18%, you know, by by the the 80s i think we're higher than that now slightly higher than that now but it was the result of the gi bill the gi bill paid huge dividends by giving not just free college we will pay you to go to college yes Tony. But you go, go. Get, point the republicans
6: I, don't want intelligent people
2: i agree as as donald trump famously said we like the poorly i love the poorly educated <laughs> tony thank you for the call spot on and I got to tell you, Louise's dad, who became the assistant attorney general for the state of Michigan because of the GI Bill, before he went off to World War II, he was dirt poor. I mean, his family was dirt poor.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
2: when the GOP comes for your wife, daughter, or sister? And I mean, this is a serious question. Last week, a Texas woman with an ectopic pregnancy, which never produces a baby and always kills women if it's not treated, was forced to wait until that uh, ectopic pregnancy ruptured in, in her fallopian tube, uh, you know, potentially ending her life within a matter of hours or days at the most. Imagine that that was someone you loved, or you, if you're, if you're female. Republican laws are now making doctors wait until women are nearly dead before they can provide life-saving medical treatment for lethal conditions like ectopic pregnancies or incomplete miscarriages. This is insane. Uh, Fred Narapal is uh, tweeting, well, actually, the story, there's a story about it in the Washington Post. Uh, The headline, in Wisconsin, a woman bled for more than 10 days from an incomplete miscarriage when emergency room staff refused to remove the fetal tissue because they were afraid of being prosecuted under new anti-abortion laws. So, serious question. What would you do if your daughter, wife, mother, or sister, who was forced to bleed out for 10 long days... So just so that some Republican politician could crow about, I am so pro-life, what would you do? They would have to physically restrain me. And to compound this, as you are listening to my voice, this very moment, Republicans in state after state are feverishly pushing to the next step. To strip, strip women of even more reproductive rights, including access to IUDs and birth control pills, Republican pharmacists and drugstore clerks are refusing to sell condoms to married couples, for God's sake. Meanwhile, over at Fox so-called News, it appears that they're trying to get uh, the abortion doctor in Indiana who gave the abortion a 10-year-old uh, girl, this objin. This They're trying to get her murdered just like they did Dr. George Tiller back in the day. Remember Bill O'Reilly over 30 times saying, Tiller the baby killer, until finally a guy shot him as he was being the usher in his church. He thought he was safe in church. Not so much. In the weeks since six Republicans on the Supreme Court ruled in their Dobbs decision that uh, Republican-controlled legislatures could illegally insert police between doctors and women, multiple rape victims, including a 10-year-old, have been denied abortions or had to flee their Republican-controlled states. And this Republican insistence on male supremacy and the resubjugation of women... This goes way beyond birth control or abortion. There's a long history here. Back in 1869, the Republican Party was putting forward these, the, uh, the 14th Amendment, which was generally considered to be a good thing. But Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who, who were the, you know, the highest profile, earliest, uh, the, the women's suffrage movement literally goes back to the founding of our republic, abigail adams and friends but but these two were really i mean they kicked off the modern day movement that led to the 20th amendment in 1919 Uh, but because the 14th amendment has a sentence that says voting rights shall not be denied to any of the male inhabitants of the states susan b anthony or excuse me elizabeth Cady stanton wrote in 1866 quote If the word male be inserted in the Constitution, it will take a century to get it out again. This was the first time gender was in in the Constitution. Keep in mind, the uh, the first 15, 20 years after the founding of the republic in multiple northern states, women were voting. There is no constitutional prohibition against it. It was state after state that outlawed women voting, starting aggressively around 1810. So anyhow, Stanton said, if you put the word male in the Constitution, it'll be 100 years to get it out. And sure enough, it wasn't until 1963 with the Equal Pay Act and 1964 with the Civil Rights Act that women got equal pay and, work, and prohibitions against workplace discrimination. When the Biden, Now that act was passed through reconciliation, so it has to be renewed every 10 years. They had to pass it that way because of Republican objections in 1963. So, you know, it's it's been renewed every year ever since, and it came up for reauthorization in, in uh, 2022. Or excuse me, in 2021. And this was the Paycheck Fairness Act of 2021, which would have updated and reauthorized the Equal Pay Act of 1963. It passed the House on a 217 to 210 vote, but all 210 of the no votes, with one exception, Henry Cuellar, I think it was, uh, were blocked by Republicans in, in in the House of Representatives. Now, it passed the House, it went to the Senate, and there it died because of a united Republican filibuster. All those protections for women that were passed in 1963 and reauthorized in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2010s. All of those protections died in the United States Senate because of a Republican filibuster. The only reason that any of those protections are even law right now is that Joe Manch, uh, Joe Manchin, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders, who runs the Budget Committee, were able to slip them into the must-pass Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of, la- of last fall. That's the only reason or actually it was this march that it passed. That's the only reason any of them are at law and that eliminated the the uh, you know a whole bunch of protections for women. So anyhow as I, as I I've told you before, you know in the in the first 100 years of America this is what Republicans want to take us back to. In the first 100 years of America a a, a married woman who was not legally allowed to make out a will because she couldn't own land or legally control anything worth willing to another person. Any property she brought into the marriage became her husband's at the moment of marriage and would only revert to her if he died and she did not remarry, but even then she only got one-third of it. A male executor would be appointed, he got a third, and then he decided where the remaining third went. When she died, the executor just kept the property for herself. Women could only sue in court under the provisions provided for children and the mentally ill or the mentally insane, as they were referred to back then. If a woman was poor, it was a virtual certainty that if her husband died, her children would be taken away from her. This is the world that Republicans want to take us back to. Uh, I mean, right now in U.S. Congress, women make up 15 percent, just 15 percent of the Republican House seats. And 8% of Republican Senate seats. By contrast, Democrats make up, or w- women make up 40% of Democratic House seats. In 1974, it was a law in most states that a father, husband, brother, or male friend had to sign for a woman to get a credit card, a car loan, or sign a mortgage. I remember having to sign for Louise's first credit card in 1972, the year we were married. And when banks did give women loans, They had them sign what was called a baby letter, which said that if they got pregnant, they had to pay back the loan immediately with penalties. Now, that practice got ended in 1983 when Bella Abzug, the New York Democrat, introduced the Equal Credit Act, sponsored by 12 Democrats in the House. It passed in 1974. But then in 1976, the Supreme Court, in a ruling called General Electric v. Gilbert, said that corporations discriminating against women was perfectly legal. William Rehnquist wrote in his majority opinion, "Uh, pregnancy is a voluntarily undertaken and desired condition. In other words, it's not a normal medical condition. I mean, this this is just crazy. It goes on. I've got a much longer history about this over at HartmanReport.com. If you want all the details and the hot links, the 1994 Violence Against Women Act, for example, 172 Republicans in the House of Representatives voted no. It got killed this year. Marjorie Taylor Greene voted against it. She said, if you want to protect women, make sure they're ha- they are gun owners and know how to defend themselves. That's the greatest defense for women. Women don't need protections in the workplace under law. And now Republicans are renewing this campaign of terror. Jesse Waters, in my opinion, is trying to get this uh, Indiana physician murdered. He's showing her picture on television and calling her out. And women are being taken literally right to the edge of death before they can be provided with any kind of care that might even resemble an abortion, like finishing off a miscarriage or dealing with an ectopic pregnancy. So again, I ask, how will you respond When this happens to someone in your life, this is no longer an academic question. Picking up your phone calls, Laura in Blairstown, Iowa. Hey, Laura, what's on your mind today?
0: Hi, um, thanks for taking my call. First, I wanted to make a quick comment about Trump. I think that we have to hold him accountable or else we're leaving the door open for this to happen again.
2: Right, and, and um, otherwise we're not a nation of laws. We're a nation of men, exactly. to paraphrase John Adams. It,
0: so much. M- my other comment was about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I'm a 44-year-old woman who's never had children, and I was in talking to my doctor about having children, and he pretty much looked at me like, this is a scary time for a 44-year-old woman to have high risk pregnancy, hmm. because I things like what's happened to these other womens in these stories could easily happen to me because you know of my age, so I feel like this kind of shuts the door in the face of a lot of women that might have a high risk pregnant pregnancy,
2: yeah, you'd have to move from Iowa to California or Oregon or Washington state first,
0: yeah, exactly, I'm serious, and I cannot that's... believe. I cannot believe that my state uh, voted for Barack Obama, I think, once or twice, but then voted for Trump twice. I, I just yeah. don't. My state is messed up.
2: <laughs> I think it speaks to the power of right-wing talk radio and Fox News more than anything else. I, I really think that the Democratic Party is underestimating the impact of media.
0: Absolutely. And my mother, my own mother, has Fox News on at her house all the time. and it, it just it makes me sick. Did you know that they had a, someone on their program who was uh, doubting the ten year old' story?
2: Oh yeah. yeah, several times. several Several of their shows were calling it a fraud and and then and then they didn't talk about it once it became for a day, once it became revealed that, yes, there actually was a rapist and we know who he is. And then once they figured out that he was an undocumented immigrant, it was like, oh, oh look at that. It was, you know, and then they were all over it all over again. Like, like it matters who the rapist is, right? I mean, rape is rape. Exactly. And, and especially for a 10 year old. So wh- what are you going to do, Laura?
0: I don't know. I think I really think that it's kind of kind of shut, shut the door in my face on having, on having kids. Oh, that's it's, a tough one. It's, it's a big risk for me.
2: Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you what to do, obviously, but uh, you know, Louise and I have had three kids and one miscarriage, and, and you know, it's, it's such a gratifying thing. Um, I don't know if moving to a state where you feel safe is the solution. You know, California, Oregon, and Washington State have uh, come up with an interstate compact. Um, I don't think it's been signed yet, but the three governors did a television ad that has been running out here saying, we are going to fight for your rights to women in, in these states. We're going to fight for your rights and we are going to protect you. And this this is a safe place. So just FYI. So, Laura, good luck. I, it's got to be a tough one. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for the call. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace,
1: or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity Line of Credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure. Equal Opportunity Lender. NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.
2: holly in marshall missouri hey holly what's on your mind today
0: oh i was just wanting to respond to the the man who called about crime statistics and abortion Mm -hmm. and i was one of the people who marched in the second wave feminism for uh, roe v wade and uh, 18 years later criminologists discovered that Crime had dropped all crime had dropped, yep and we started to talk about why, and it made sense because the babies that were born could be cared for, wanted and loved, and they wouldn't be put into foster care or be raised in poverty
2: yeah it is, uh, it, is yeah. it is so easily demonstrated that unwanted children not not always, not even frequently but but more. More often than not, when you look at criminals and you look at people in prison, you find that they were unwanted children as children.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you, Tom.
2: Yeah. Oh, you're, you're welcome. Very, very well said, Holly. Thank you. Uh, and this this is, I mean, in fact, the, I think the when this really became a big, a widespread understanding in America, was back in the 90s when this Freakonomics book was published. I believe it was the 90s, might have been the early 2000s. And these two authors did, did a really, really thorough analysis of this. And they found that, hey, 16, 18 years after, after Roe v. Wade, after the, the right to an abortion was established, and the number of unwanted children or unwanted pregnancies was reduced, the overall crime rate was reduced as well. And as those children aged, the crime rate associated with those ages changed too. So, you know, buckle up. The next 18 years are going to be wild. We'll be right back. Jeremiah in Coalport, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jeremiah, what's on your mind today?
4: (laughs) Hey, Tom, two points about abortion. Number one, everyone is pro-choice. It's one thing to sanctimoniously pontificate on how a ten-year-old girl should have the child of their rapist. It's, um, but I'm willing to bet many of those people would change their tune if uh, they were in the situation themselves. Did you
2: see can, that? Did you see that viral? I think it was on TikTok. That viral video, the the Mormon kid in Utah who called his mom on speakerphone.
4: I it came across, I, I didn't it, This was video. This was
2: nuts. I, I'll be very, very quick here, Jeremiah. Um, his mother is a pro-life activist, I mean, like in one of the organizations, like one of the, one of the leaders of one of these organizations um, that are working to criminalize abortion in Utah. Okay. And, and he calls her up on speaker, and his friend is videoing it on TikTok. He calls her up on speaker and says, Mom, I just got Jenny pregnant, his girlfriend. I just got her pregnant. I don't know what to do. What should we do? And, and his mom is like, get her an abortion quick.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. anyhow, back yeah. to
2: you, and, Jeremiah. All
4: right. And I, I cannot fathom these uh, macho, gun-toting, male, MAGA hat-wearing Republicans being okay with raising the child of uh, their wife's or their girlfriend's rapist, especially if the father happened to be black. They would definitely be pro-choice in that circumstance. Yeah. But even- uh this is a segue to my second point, even if uh, let's you know some of those who may have had the child of the rapist and they're still against abortion, um I think that they're like the um aunt, um the people who are against student loan forgiveness because they pay down their student loans, like you know, like I um you know had to have the baby that I didn't want. I suffered, right. and, and therefore you must too. You, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly.
2: it's 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 a bizarre situation, uh, Jeremiah. It, it reminds me, I am haunted by a novel. Uh, Ed McBain wrote these this a series of novels uh, called the Forty Seventh Precinct novels. It was about a, a, a precinct in in New York City, a police police precinct. Um, it was made into, or actually it was ripped off, and, and uh, the rip-off Carpenter was... film? It was, no, it was made into a TV series. Um, and I'm sorry I'm blanking on the name of the series, but it was like a major, major, big hit television series that ran for years and years about, you know, a police precinct in New York. And and in this one particular novel, I read this back in the 70s or 80s, they were trying to figure out this rapist. He was, he, he, These women all around New York kept getting raped and repeatedly raped the the, you know the same woman was getting raped multiple times and uh, and then the rapist would suddenly stop and what they finally figured out was that these were all women who were working in the anti-abortion movement and the rapist was a demented pro-choice person and they finally you know they caught him and they prosecuted him and everything but it it, it, in in every in well it, it just it was spooky I mean it was just spooky um, not that I would, you know, I would never recommend or even hope for anything like that. But I but I think that, you know, when these things happen, like, you know, like that kid on TikTok, people's minds change very quickly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, anyway, Jeremiah, I probably shouldn't have even brought that book up. I don't want to even imply that I'm advocating such a god awful thing. It just it has always stuck in my head. Jeremiah, thank you for the call. Mike in Savannah, Georgia. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to Sirius XM. What's up? Hey, thank
3: you, Tom. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, you make it real hard on the half hour I'm waiting to get with you to choose a topic. But I'm going to uh, – anyway, student loans.
2: Okay, go for it.
3: 2009 took off $70,000. It's paid back uh, $73,000 in the last 12, 13 years. St- oh, 75000 at 70000 Right now, it's six and a half percent government subsidized student wow. loan. That's okay, insane. Now, it, the point the point is, I know, and I'm proud to be able to you know make payments and I and but I, I'm getting tired of people going zero to a hundred. There's no in between. It's either, oh, you should pay this back, or it should be free. Well, how about just a reasonable one percent, one and a half percent, two percent interest rate? I mean, I'm paying paid less it I paid three percent of my home for crying out loud, yeah. let alone seven percent on a student loan.
2: You know how okay. billionaires avoid their uh, avoid paying income taxes? Exactly. Instead of instead of taking a paycheck, which is subject to income tax, they borrow money at like one or one and a half percent because really, really rich people can borrow basically at the federal fund rate. And, 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 you know, and, and, then, and in some cases, they even own the banks that they're borrowing it from. But they borrow at 1% or 2%, let, let's say, at the most, now that the rates have gone up. And then they live off that borrowed money, and when it comes time to pay that money back, they'll sell a little stock or something like that and pay a small capital gains on it and, or just roll the loan over and just keep rolling the loans over throughout their whole entire lives because they've got enough assets to continually have that debt. And that 1% or 2 or 3% that they're paying in interest is a hell of a lot lower than the 25 or 30% they would have to pay in, in income taxes. And now if, yep. if billionaires can get away with this stuff, why can't, student, why can't people with student loans do that? Well, I We're, just I just get
3: tired of the Republicans always saying, "Well, why should you go for me? I'm not asking for free money. I I paid it back already. I yeah. have paid the entire loan back. Okay, right. and
2: you still owe the entire I, loan. In fact, you owe more I, than you owe more than you originally borrowed. I'm with you, Mike. It is it is a scam. It is a grift. It's it's obscene that when when corporations can borrow at one and two percent that students are being forced to borrow at 6 and 7%, and now it's going to be going up even beyond that, it is wrong. It should not be happening in the richest country in the world when every other developed democracy in the world, and, and every single one of them is smaller and poorer than the United States, offers right. free or, the, or, or very, very reasonably priced college education. We are the only country in the world that has widespread student debt, the only country in the developed world. Mike, thank you. Perfect. Lori in Ocala, Florida. Hey, my, hey, Lori, what's on your mind today?
0: Positivity, Tom. The choice of hope of elsewhere. We have to present ourselves, I think, as Democrats, not just with the list that we know all the things that Democrats have done versus Republicans, but health care in the viewpoint of corporo- corporations and communities. So for corporations, when everyone has health care, You give benefits to people that belong to fitness clubs because they're healthier. For the community, everyone pays less for common things like healthy food, lower drug prices. It benefits everyone. Education, when everyone is well educated, you were just talking about this. Corporations have a better pool of employees, and communities have greater participation in education. So we, if we present. These things that we have done for people, like, say, we want safer communities,
2: safety. Laurie, I'm sorry, your phone is fading out. But I get your point, and I agree with it in every regard. In fact, when we did this program from Copenhagen, Denmark, back about seven, eight years ago, for a week, uh, the Danish uh, uh, broadcasting service, Danish Radio, loaned us a studio. And I had on, I I don't know if he was the mayor of Copenhagen or, or, you know, some high official, and they had just turned a whole bunch of streets into bikes only. And, and he was talking about how they funded that out of their health care revenue. Um, and now I'm not sure if it was a one-to-one funding or anything like that, but I was like, how do you do that? And he's like, well, if people are riding their bicycles, we're going to have fewer heart attacks. If we have fewer heart attacks, our health care costs less because we all pay for our health care through our taxes. So putting it in the bike lanes actually saves us money. <laughs> it's incredible. Evan in Chicago. Hey, Evan, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hey Tom, it's Kevin. Yes, what's up? I've been called this. I've had this bugging me since
1: January sixth. With with everything that's come to light with the January sixth hearings that we've been that we've been all witnessing, all of the guns, the
3: weapons, and such that they uh, confiscated or saw. My question is: when Trump was giving his speech on January sixth,
1: he was in front. He was in back of a full plate glass of bulletproof glass, from what
2: I can see. That's correct.
1: I have never seen anybody, any other president, behind such a defense. Well, he
2: knew that it was an armed mob coming. That's why Mo Brooks was wearing a bulletproof vest. Exactly. But why has not that not been brought up by anybody? Well, maybe it will be in the next hearings, because they're going to be focusing on what Trump did during that period of time. But I think it's just kind of common knowledge, but I'm with you. It, to me, that's evidence of premeditation. Kevin, thank you. Pamela in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Pamela, what's up?
0: Uh, hi, Tom. Hey, you know, I've been noticing lately that the news media and um, are making the same mistake as they did in 2016 by giving Trump free advertising. Whenever he posts something on his troubled social media platform, Mm -hmm. they mention it by name. I I even saw one make it a link. You know, they should just say he posted without saying the name. I don't even want to say the name. Um, You know, don't give people a roadmap to that site. It's
2: his newest grift. You know, he's, yeah, he's harvesting yeah, for, names. For sure. You've got to give them your phone number when you sign up. They love that. Oh, my you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's nuts. Pamela, thank you. Uh, spot on. I agree. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires every single one of us, and that includes you. If you want to have a decent country, you've got to participate. And we, I think we'd all like to have a decent country, wouldn't we? Let's get these Republicans out of office. They are ripping this place apart. Anyhow, so get out there, get active, tag, your are Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you, and stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow.
3: You've been listening to Tom Hartman.